Welcome to the Gingsberg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsberg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsberg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see each and every one of you. I'm Pastor Dennis Miller, and it's wonderful to continue this teaching series that we're in. We kicked it off last week. Tough questions, hot topics of our faith. This week is round two. We're asking the question, can faith and science coexist? And I want to acknowledge the elephant in the room. As you're looking at your pastor here, you know it's your pastor. I'm a historian and a philosopher. I'm not a scientist, but we have the Word of God and we have the mind that God has given us. And so let's reason together, says the Lord, and we're in week two. Some of you receive our Friday emails that go out, and typically I have a devotion in there that I write. And this week, if you read it, you know that I started my devotion by sharing back in the late 1990s when I was a young pastor in Hamilton, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati, I had a member of our church there at Park Avenue United Methodist Church come to me and say, hey, Dennis, I have a friend. He's a retired surgeon from the city. He's very well known in the city. He was just diagnosed with cancer. He is not a believer, but I have been visiting him on a weekly basis, and I've been taking out your sermons giving your sermons to him on audio cassette. Remember the days of audio cassette way back then? Yeah, I'm that old. <laughs> and he said that he's enjoying them and he wants to meet you. I said, well, that'll be great. And so I went with my friend. We arranged a time to meet the doctor and his wife. He was very kind. I remember sitting before him, really smart, really encouraging, had a lot of nice words to say. He said, Pastor, I'm enjoying listening to your stories, to the Bible stories in your sermons. But he was up front. He said, you know, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm interested, but I'm not there because he says, and he put this way, I'm a scientist and I believe in science. And of course, I was thinking, and I don't, but I didn't say that. And, uh, and he said, I'm a scientist, and I cannot relate the two. Faith and science do not go together. That was the stumbling block for him. And maybe it's for you as well. We parted ways. He said he'd continue to listen to my messages, and it was a great, great experience. I, I never had the opportunity to go back and to see him. I've heard later from my friend that he had passed away, and then his wife wanted to see me, and so I went out and I visited with her. But I've thought a lot about that time over 20 years ago for this man who did a lot of good for our city. The stumbling block was his assumption that there's this huge chasm, that there's a conflict between what he learned in school in his understanding of the world and of science and the Christian faith. At first glance, they may seem at odds together. However, I want to say under closer examination, faith and science not only can be compatible, but they can complement one another. 
You see, when I look at the world, when I look, look and think of the universe, when I think of its wonderful unity and its design and its order, how it all fits together, I'm overwhelmed and I'm in awe. And I also see God. I see the handiwork of God. When I look at my iPhone, I think of what it took to put that together. And this is my iWatch. And I'm looking, I'm saying phone, but you know what I mean. (laughs) But it's a phone, right? Or at least my phone is Bluetooth to it. So I guess I could talk through it. But when I look at this watch, I think, well, it just didn't happen from nothing. As I think about the details, all the things I can't understand about the complexity of this iWatch, it points me to a creator, a greater mind who developed it. That's what the psalmist thought. King David in Psalm chapter 19, when he looked up at the heavens, he thought of God. Let's check out this verse. If you have your Bibles, which Dan asked you and you said you did, or follow with me on the screen from Psalm 19, one to four. The heavens tell the glory of God. The skies display his marvelous craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak and night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is silent in the skies, yet their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. The Apostle Paul, perhaps thinking of this psalm, writing to the Romans, says without excuse, even those who do not believe were not able to justify We don't have an excuse because we can look around and we can see the order of this universe. He put it this way in verse 20. For since the time of the world was created, people have seen the earth, the sky, and all that God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. Now look at this. So they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. He says, when we look around, we see the handiwork of the creator. When I look at this iWatch, it makes me realize that there's a super intellect that put this together. It just didn't happen by accident. Now, for some Christians, it's the opposite. There's a fear of science. I think, what's behind that fear? And I think what's ultimately behind that fear is that somehow someone's going to prove that there is no God. But good science is not a foe to faith. I'm going to say something radical for some of you here today. And I want you to write it down in your mind, in your spirit, and you can unpack this. But I'm going to challenge you with this statement, and it's this. I would argue that modern science is a child of Christian thought. Modern science is a child of Christian thought. Now, why do you say that? Because in the ancient world, in Moses' day, the Egyptians were not atheist. They were theist. They believed in God. But they were polytheists. Poly meaning many. 
They believed in a council of God. They believed in higher gods and lesser gods. Those gods had personality. Those gods sometimes differed from one another. <laughs> Those gods were part of creation. They could be manipulated from time to time. In Jesus' day, it was very similar. The Romans and the Greeks who dominated the culture were theists. They believed in many gods. They were polytheists. All throughout the Greek-Roman Empire, we see temples and places dedicated to these gods. Sacrifices would take place to appease these gods. These gods could be manipulated depending upon their mood or their feeling towards their subjects. Well, the problem with that is that it's very, very, very difficult, really impossible to experiment in a world like that where there are no absolutes, where there are no underlying laws of nature, that you conduct an experiment one day here, but if the God didn't wake up on the right side of the bed over here, things may change. It's impossible. It was the Judeo-Christian belief that came around in a world of polytheism and said, no, there's one God, and God is separate than God's creation. God is not pantheistic. God is outside and, but transcends the world, the creation. God is other. And this God is a God of order. This God is a God of design. This God is a God of laws. And based upon that premise, we find the development of modern science. Perhaps the greatest scientist of all time was Sir Isaac Newton, now, Newton lived during the 17th century. He actually wrote more theological books about God than he did about science. And yet, Newton's notion of the laws of gravity meant that you could carry out an experiment one day, and if you had the same set of circumstances and time and space on another day, you would get the exact same results because there are underlying universal laws. There are principles. There are absolutes that don't change. Yes, it takes a leap of faith to believe that those universal absolutes were created. Faith is always involved. But it also takes a lot of faith. I would even perhaps argue more faith to believe that all of those things, gravity, for instance, just came about by an accident, by a fluke, through millions of years to get to where it was. That's also faith. Think about your own DNA that makes you who you are. Modern scientists, it took them 10 years, a decade, using supercomputers over the last generation to figure out a personal DNA. That's your software, that's your code. And everybody is unique. Even twins have just a little bit 
I don't fully understand it. I just enjoy reading about it. Let's say, for instance, here's an illustration that works for my mind. Maybe you can understand it. Let's say that I have a, a can of alphabet soup. Anybody still eat alphabet soup? We ate that when we were kids. And let's say it has all the letters of the alphabet in it. And let's say it has three to four times all the letters of the alphabet. How long would it take to simmer and cook this alphabet soup for those, those letters inside to form a complete sentence? No matter the language, just a grammatically complete sentence. Well, your DNA is not a sentence. Your DNA is bigger than an encyclopedia. And that's just you. That's just one of you. There are a million people here in the Miami Valley metro. You take Cincinnati, then you're several million people in the whole metro of Southwest Ohio, each with a unique DNA. Eight billion people on earth all unique. These odds have led Professor Edwin Cochran, former biologist of Princeton University, to say the probability of life originating from accident is comparable to the probability of the unabridged dictionary resulting from an explosion in a printing factory. But even if you have faith, even if you're a believer to believe that, that, nothing, that nothing can originate that something can originate from nothing. See, I'm getting that confused myself. (laughs) Then where did the soup come from? Where did the original matter come from? Where did the laws come from to make it possible for the formation of life without life? Fred Hoyle, a world-renowned astronomer from Cambridge, who was once an atheist and later became a believer, come to this conclusion, the common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. What conclusion? That there was a super intellect monkeying with the forces of nature in order to give life on earth a chance. Years ago, I heard the story that was first found in the Daily Observer 1963 from Leslie Weatherhead. It's an illustration but it it meant something to me about uh, the current situation we're in that I thought you would enjoy today. It's an illustration about mice living in a piano in a cathedral in London. I hope you enjoy this if you've never heard it before. It's been around for a long time. A group of mice lived in the bottom of this piano and every day they would hear an unseen player play music and it was beautiful. They enjoyed the music and they enjoyed the thought that there was an unseen player. Someone they couldn't see, but they could hear the music and they could feel the music and they took great joy from that and it brought them peace. Then one day, a couple of mice scurried up the inside of the piano to the soundboard and he saw that there were wires 
And they came back and announced to the other mice in the nest, listen, there is no unseen player. I figured it out. There are wires. That's where the music comes from. There are long ones. There are short ones. They're thick. They're thin. They vibrate. They make sound. There's no need for an unseen player anymore because we now know where the music comes from. This really shook up the faith of the mice living in the piano. Half of them stopped believing in an unseen player because they knew the real explanation for the music was wires. The other half continued to believe, but they were a little confused. Now, sometime later, another mouse scurried up the side of the piano into the soundboard. They saw, as the music was playing, hammers striking the wires. And they said, ah, now we know the rest of the story. The wires were hard for us to explain, but now we know there are hammers that strike the wires. That's why there is music. You don't have to believe in an unseen player anymore. The answer is hammers and wires. And most of the mice stopped believing in an unseen player. A few still believed, but they were considered to be naive by the rest of the enlightened mice. And every day, the music played on. 2010, Stephen Hawking wrote a best-selling book entitled The Grand Design. Anybody remember that book? It's been over a decade ago. CNN, New York Times, Wall Street Journal reported Hawking's findings in the book. He argued there's no God necessary for the creation of the universe And Hawking in it explains what he entitled as M-theory. At least he tries to explain it. He even admits in the book that he doesn't fully understand it for no one can fully understand M-theory. But he explains how M-theory and quantum theory are combined and come together. And over millions of billions of years, they produced on their own billions of universes. And everything was created by gravity. No need for God. Stephen Hawking passed away in 2018. And so now he has a fuller understanding of of it all. But when I read M-theory, I want you to know that I'm fascinated by it. What I can understand, again, I'm a historian or, or wannabe historian. That's my education, philosophy, theology. But as a layman, this stuff fascinates me. M-theory fascinates me. And I think it's really interesting. But it's still all hammers and wires. It's all hammers and wires. And don't misunderstand, I like hammers and wires. But you've just given me the mechanics at all. You've never really told me where the music comes to life. You've never really told me what's beyond mechanics. And you understand that's the job of Western scientists, and it's good. And I praise God for that. I want you to hear that this church appreciates that. We don't ask anyone to check their brains at the door. Yes, there's a leap of faith, but it's not blind faith. It's not, our faith is not based just on a feeling. I mentioned the first service. Every cultist believes they've had an experience. 
They'll say, I know it's true because I feel it. But even every cult or other religion has that same view as well. There has to be something that undergirds us, that's rooted in reality, friends. One of those things, by the way, is an empty tomb. <laughs> Jesus is alive today, but that's for the future message. But I am glad that scientists attempt, sometimes they're wrong, but other times they're right, but I'm, I'm glad that they attempt to understand the mechanics, the hammers and wires. Aren't you glad that scientists historically did not stop with the God explanation? Well, pastor, you're virgin on heresy. What do you mean by that? I'm glad. Can you imagine every time a scientist came up against something they didn't understand, they said, well, let's not try to understand it. It's just God. Can you imagine where we would be? Now, let me tell you now about history, something I do know. Galileo, the date was June 22nd, 1633. I'm so glad that Galileo didn't stop with just the, let's not worry about it, it's just God. On that day, the Roman Catholic Church pronounced Galileo as a heretic for promoting the shocking notion that the earth moves around the sun along the other planets of our solar system. This was heresy because everyone knew, including the church, had made decrees that the earth was the center of the universe, that everything, all the stars moved around the earth. See, sometimes the church gets it wrong, friends. And we have to admit, God didn't get it wrong. <laughs> Amen? God created this solar system. God created the universe, we believe. But the church got it wrong. 400 years later, hardly anyone would argue, people of faith and people not of faith, that the earth is the center of the universe. Our earth revolves around the sun, which... There are many different suns and stars with planets who move around them. I'm grateful for scientists for the work they do, Christians and non-Christians, because they help us to understand the glory. God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you're holy. And what that means is you're set apart, you're different from me. I'm overwhelmed in your majesty and in awe of who you are. And the more I learn about how everything fits together and even, even inside of me, my DNA, I'm, I'm amazed. And yet you would know my name. <laughs> and so, friends, what we need to know is that science is not a foe of faith. Now, there's bad science. And that's why people continue to, to, to grow and learn. But Unlike the church's reaction to Galilee in the Middle Ages, good science is not a threat to our understanding of truth. Next week, I'm going to talk about why we can trust the Bible and know it's true. But what you need to know is this. Science and faith, they run parallel. Science attempts to answer the question, how? Faith 
answers the question, who and why? Science answers how or attempts to. Faith and truth answer the question, who and why? Only comes down to a question of faith. Either way, as I said last week, even atheists, that there's a decision there. You looked at the data, you looked at your experience, and you said, this is what I believe. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus, I look at the evidence, I look at my own personal experience, and I make a decision to place my stake in the ground, and I say, I believe. Either you believe that your result, not just the world, but you, your result of random chance, you're a cosmic accident, you are a biological fluke, you're just here for a moment in time, in an eternity, a blip in time. It's a survival of the fittest. There's no really answer or remedy to suffering. That's the way the ball bounces. As I mentioned last week, this is the weak point of atheism. Or I believe there is a God, there is a super intellect that has created the stars in the sky, who has created a perfect design, an order of the universe. And I believe that I was created for a purpose, that I'm not a mistake, amen? That I'm not a fluke, that I was created for a purpose. I am God's handiwork, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. Created in Christ Jesus for a reason. This God who created the heavens and the earth also knows my name, knows my story, <laughs> knows the number of hairs on my head. Wow. If you're Chris Wingfield, it's not too hard for God to know the... Or Tim Wilson. Sorry, guys. You guys look good. These are the good-looking guys of our group. I, I asked him if I could have permission, at least Chris, right? Amen. Let's give him some praise for Jesus. <laughs> I want to say that God knows. I'm almost through. I know some of you are getting, getting hungry here. We'll still beat the Baptist to Bob Evans. They're going longer today. I'm, I'm growing with you in this. Here, let me tell you this. Here's what I know from Scripture. In the book of Acts, chapters 17 and 18, really 17, the Apostle Paul, he goes to Mars Hill. He is there in Athens. He is standing for all these great philosophers, where all the great minds of the, of the uh, Hellenistic world, the, the Greek-Roman world would meet, and they would debate the meaning of life. And Paul had his moment. And what did he do? He presented a foreign concept to them. Remember, they were polytheists. He presented one God, and in Jesus Christ, the word became flesh, that he was alive, and he presented a resurrection. Not reincarnation. He presented resurrection, that Jesus was alive. There were three responses, and this is what I want you to take home as we leave. He said, and Luke records this way, the, the first sneered. They didn't believe. And let me just say, you've heard 20 minutes, 25 minutes of Pastor Dennis, and you may be saying, you know, I, I don't think you're right, Pastor. 
Maybe you're even sneering. You're online, you're sneering. I want to say I don't judge you. (laughs) I want to thank you for listening, to caring enough to take time to listen or, or to be here today. There are many people in this church who were with you at one point, and I've even at times uh, had major, major doubts. There was a second group. Some sneered, but others said, well, I'm not convinced, but I'm willing to hear more. And maybe that's where you're at today. You're not convinced, but you're willing to come again next week to hear why we believe the Bible's true. I want to encourage you, if you're in that camp, to continue to investigate Continue to, as I'd say to my surgeon friend of the past, continue to listen to those sermons. Get involved in an alpha course that we offer. We're going to offer another one at the first of the year where you can wrestle with some of these hard questions. So there are those who said we're not convinced, but we're willing to know more. Then there were a third group, and almost through. They said, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I'm ready to take that step of faith. Faith is a decision. And today, will you take the hand of Jesus? He'll walk with you. He'll talk with you. He'll tell you you're his own. He'll give you purpose and meaning in life. If you just take his hand, you can do that today. Christ our Lord, who held The stars in the sky knows you and loves you and died for you on Calvary and wants relationship with you and me today. How glorious. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the gift of this day. I thank you for the fact you've given us a mind and we are to love you with our heart and soul and mind and strength. And I thank you that science helps us to understand your creation. We don't run from that, Lord. We don't run from knowledge. We grow and we learn and we live in the the real world. We thank you that we are people of purpose. Reveal that purpose to every single person here today. For those who want to connect with you, I pray today will be the day. They'll receive you and walk out of this place a new person. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingosburg.org. 